Terry Crosby. Andy Steiger. Steve Kim. Welcome to the AC Podcast. On this podcast, we want to help you understand and speak the language of our culture and address questions being asked with intellectual honesty, gentleness, and respect. Thank you for joining us, listeners, for our last podcast of the foreseeable future. That is not true, Terry. Okay, it's not true. (laughs) (laughs) Liar, liar, pants on fire. I'm like, it is? <laughs> no, I got to look from Andy there. COVID nineteen is not going to keep us from podcasting. That's what. That's my point. We are here. That's right. We're here for you. Social distancing for you via podcast. Right. So I wanted to, you know, give them a little downer, but then. Oh right! Feelings, so right? You, you took them down. Now yeah. you're bringing them up. I'm bringing them up. <laughs> <laughs> so we are not going anywhere, you, you listeners. Thought, you thought you lost the podcast, and <laughs> now you know you didn't. All right, here we go. As we uh, before we jump into things today. How are you guys doing, man? How are you, how are you uh, surviving? How's your families? Steve, how are things out in Alberta? We're doing okay. I mean, we're kind of experiencing what I guess everybody else is experiencing with schools closing down. And our church took the um, weekend service online. And so that's what's happening there. And I am kind of staying home. Our um, lead pastor, Scott, he said, yeah, you should stay home. He knows that I have... Uh, I'm a little bit asthmatic. I'm usually fine, except when I come down with a cold, you know, my lungs get affected. That's when it gets triggered. And I just recently had a, came down with a mild cold. Thankfully, it wasn't COVID-19, but it does mean that I'm higher risk now. And so I'm doing everything from home. But in terms of COVID-19... Before we move on from there, I think it's important for our listeners to know that Steve absolutely is high risk. This guy... You can every year. Can there be a higher risk? Can there? Be, I, I'm sure there can be, but no, but, but Steve, uh, he he gets pneumonia almost every year or something close to. So, Lar- laryngitis. I'm very prone to yeah, laryngitis, laryngitis as and, well. Dang. And then that unending fits of cough and all that. Oh, stuff. I know. Seriously. So as soon as I started hearing about COVID nineteen, the first thought that went through my mind is Steve Kim. <laughs> needs to not get COVID-19. Oh, thank <laughs> so, you. <laughs> you're welcome, man. So listen, stay, stay safe. Uh, how's your family doing being locked up? Uh, we're, we're doing well, actually. Um, and this is uh, partly what I want to talk about later as well. But this pandemic has a way of disrupting routine, shall we say. And a lot of good can come from that as well. If you want to look for that silver lining, it it's certainly there. And thankfully, in Alberta, although the uh, COVID-19 cases are going up exponentially still, thankfully, in the Spruce Grove area where I live, we haven't had a case of COVID-19 yet, so that's good. There are plenty of cases out in Edmonton, but we're just outside of Edmonton, and thankfully, we we're not affected as much here. Although there are a handful of cases in the surrounding communities, thankfully we're okay. And so I feel a little easier going to the grocery store or something like that. So we're, we're doing okay. What about you guys? What about you, Terry? Dude, it's been hard. Being home, that's tough. Terry's a wild man. He, I gotta be out. He, got, <laughs> he needs to be out. I, I have honestly driven in Abbotsford. I'm just driving along, and all of a sudden, I'll see Terry pop out of some trail. 
yeah. and, and then <laughs> he's, he's back That's into another true story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a true story. It's like, like uh, yeah, some... Uh, the man needs to be out. Beast. I don't know. Yeah, I got to be out. I've been riding bike and, and running lots, so that's good. But still working at home. I think the most affected thing we have is my mother-in-law. She has uh, is very prone. Uh, she's a high risk. So basically, my wife has banned her and her siblings have banned their mom to the room. And we bring groceries and stuff over to her when she needs it. So I'm sure there's lots of us that are calling mom and dad. You know, I've called my mom a number of times and seen how yeah. she's doing. Yeah. Uh, what about your mom and dad, though? They're doing okay. Uh, they're trying to do the best they can as well. And they're at home, and uh, yeah, I, I would say both of them are, are at high risk. So yeah. definitely phoning them more, a little bit more these days, checking in. So yeah, just to be there yeah, that way. Well, hey, listen, our, our family, uh, the Steiger family, has been doing well. We've uh, been um, weathering this thing, and, and our family still loves each other, so that's good. Uh, <laughs> Boredom has not been a problem for me. I have been, or Nancy, we have been so busy. We have so much stuff going on. So trying to keep up with all that, but then seeing all that's going on in the news. And to me, the whole thing is just kind of amusing in that it's amazing to see how quickly life can take a 180. It wasn't that long ago that we were, honestly, it was just two weeks ago, we were having a church meeting you know, at our church. And, and we were talking about the future and how we're doing this building project and everything. And we were voting on that. And we were all optimistic about the future. Not even one question during Q&A came up about COVID-19 or the economy or yeah. any of that. Not yeah. a single one. Yeah. And the next day, the whole world changed. Yeah. You know, and then by that weekend, we did not have church happening. And it's one of those humbling moments where you realize that you aren't as powerful as you think you are, and you're not as secure as you would like to be. And you realize that you need to trust in the Lord uh, in all things. And the reality of that is that it's uncomfortable and difficult, and we don't like it. Before we continue, a message from Andy. Hi, listeners. This is Andy Steiger. I just wanted to remind you that I have a new children's book out that I co-authored with Rachel McKenzie called What Am I Worth? You can pick it up at Amazon or ApologeticsCanada.com. As well, I have a new book coming out in September with Zondervan. The title is Reclaimed, How Jesus Humanizes in a Dehumanized World. As you know, we are living in a challenging time, but I believe with great opportunities for sharing the gospel. This book uniquely uses our humanity to discuss the gospel and what a life of flourishing in Christ looks like that I believe is desperately needed in our world. If you would like to learn more about this resource and help us get the word out, please consider becoming a part of our book launch team and help us get this resource into people's hands. Those that participate will get an early edition of the book and have the opportunity to learn and interact with me on its content. If you would like to participate, let us know by emailing info at apologeticscanada.com. And now, back to the podcast. Even in this time of uncertainty, I think we can find some joy. And, right? and we need to. We need to find some joy. Yeah. Well, I've been, you, I've been, been laughing, man. I've been, there's some good stuff on You can online. still find some joy online? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. What have you found? So... There's, you know, quotes and memes that are going around like crazy, right? This first one, you got to imagine The Walking Dead, one of your favorite shows a long time what ago. Was, yeah, was, it was, yeah, was. Okay, so the dad and his boy are talking. The dad says, no one in Antarctica has COVID-19. And the boy's like, dad, don't. 
it's because they are isolated. Dad, stop, please. (laughs) (laughs) Isolated. (laughs) So, you know, those are the dad jokes that are coming out, right? Uh, Another one says, I used to spin the toilet paper roll like I was on the Wheel of Fortune. Now I turn it like I am cracking a safe. (laughs) (laughs) It was funny. I was on Facebook Marketplace and there was a guy selling a single square of toilet paper for a hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. And there's a little bit of wordplay going on there too, I think. Cracking. Crack. Thanks for bringing that to my attention. <laughs> Social distancing for Canadians. If I can hit you with my hockey stick, and I will, <laughs> you're too close. <laughs> Oh, I like this one. Eventually, everyone will be quarantined in their homes with no sports to watch. And in nine months from now, a boom of babies will be born. And we will call them coronials. Anyway, so good. There's lots of stuff flying around out there. And I think Uh, we could have uh, have a a little fun. Have Uh, a joke. Have fun. I tell you what, during these difficult times, it's important to find some joy, no doubt. Uh, speaking of joy, one of the things that we want to talk about on this episode of the AC podcast is the gospel in light of COVID-19. You know, the gospel obviously means uh, good news. And so that's kind of a weird thing maybe to pair with COVID-19. You know, what, what is the good news that are coming out of this? And, and more than just good news, we want to talk about the good news of Jesus and how COVID-19 provides us some interesting insights into that. Now, on a positive note, I don't know if you guys have been seeing things online that have encouraged you, but there's been lots of encouraging things that have been going on where people have been coming together and doing some good. For example, uh, in Portland, where my family's from, there's been a need for masks. And so, my mom and others have been sewing them. Who would have ever thought, you know, sewing masks for the hospital? Yeah, our local hospital just put out a request for that as well. Oh, so even 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 here now in Abbotsford, uh, asking people to sew masks together. Uh, Have you guys come across anything that's encouraged you? Yeah, um, I just saw in the news yesterday out of Calgary Herald, one of the largest churches in the Calgary area is First Alliance Church in the southwest quadrant, I think. They actually are working with the mustard seed to turn their entire church building, and it's a pretty massive church, basically, into a homeless shelter. Because we're being told, right, stay home, stay home. But what about people who have no home to go to, no home to stay in? And so the mustard seed approached First Alliance Church, and the church building wasn't being used anyway, right? Because you can't have these you know, big gatherings anymore. And so there was an immediate yes from the leadership, and the leadership said there was zero pushback from the congregation either. And so they've got um, all these mats and everything laid out one meter apart, um, and that's going to be a temporary homeless shelter until they can find a more permanent solution. So I thought that was really cool to see a local church step up and uh, take in the most vulnerable in our society. Yeah, that's actually something that's going on uh, around the nation with with churches. One thing within our church with regards to food that was extra around here, uh, Rob, the guy in our kitchen, packaged up a lot of meals, and yeah. we're able to give them to people that needed it. Didn't you call it like the frozen food bank or something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah froze these meals. So that, fantastic. So yeah. fantastic. The other day, just another one very quickly, I saw a lady post online 
So a lot of stores are giving the elderly time before everybody else to get into their stores and buy some stuff. So she was at Costco. She just did a little film of the lineup, which was going around like two of the corners of Costco. Like this is just just for the elderly coming in to find get stuff, right? Oh, wow. This was before everybody else. And she's just like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, not go today because it's a long line. And then within that day, I think, maybe the afternoon, she found a package on her door with some stuff that she needed. And, you know, people are giving. Like, people are coming to other people's places, knocking on their door, running away, (laughs) (laughs) and delivering stuff like that. Like, that's fantastic. You feel, you know, connected with community, with others that way. Yeah, and and it's an important reminder to us of this need to help one another. This is, I think, a good jumping-off point to get into our discussion about the gospel. Because as these sorts of things happen, I find that they can be uh, a really interesting light to you know, shed an interesting light on aspects of the gospel that perhaps we hadn't seen before. One of those aspects that this highlights for us and that I've been noticing is you guys have heard me talk for years about how relationally driven we are as human beings and our need for relationship, relationship with God, relationship with one another. Anybody who spent time around me has heard me talk about that. Love God, love people. This is what we were created for. The thing that has been interesting for me to see in all of this is that our relational need is far deeper than I had ever thought. I didn't realize how deep our relational need is because so much of it happens just tacitly without us thinking about. For example, making the switch to go into social distancing was an interesting process where, you know, you would come to church, for example, but you wouldn't shake hands. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I come into contact with a friend or whatever, it's a very odd thing not to give them a hug or not to shake their hand or a fizz pump or whatever. It was an interesting moment where I'm like, man, I require a lot more physical contact than I thought. And to not have that is very awkward. Uh, Have you guys noticed that? For me, it's just especially keeping that distance of like six feet or whatever. When you keep that distance, it just seems really awkward. It's kind of like you're not quite close enough for me to start talking to you. But, you know, this is the distance that we need to keep. And so really awkward, really weird kind of a dynamic all of a sudden. Just this morning coming into the church, I met a guy I haven't seen for, you know, a week or so because of this. And we come up to each other. We really didn't know what to do, right? You kind of look at each other and you kind of like maybe fist pump. Maybe air hump, air pump. (laughs) (laughs) I just said air hump. (laughs) Cut that out. (laughs) I'm actually considering leaving that in. (laughs) Okay, all right, all right. Here we go, here we go, here we go. All right, all right. So we come up to each other and we really don't know what to do. You know, we kind of go for the fist pump, but then it kind of goes to your arm and then maybe to your elbow or something like that. Well, it was really, really awkward because people are just wanting to shake their hands. You want to be close to somebody. You want to feel that touch. We crave that for most of the time. Yeah. And being locked away in your home, not for those of us that are not at work any longer. Again, it's one of those moments that just reminds you how much you you need a relationship. That this is a relationship that you need, not just with people, that we need with God. And so it's an interesting moment where 
those people, you know, who say, oh, I don't, you know, I don't need relationships not important to me or whatever. It's like, well, actually, it's a whole lot more important than you thought it was. Uh, and when it's taken away, uh, you start to realize uh, how valuable that is. I want to highlight another one of those apologetic moments that I think is really interesting that is a rare insight that we rarely get. And this is one of those moments that you can get that insight. And that is that oftentimes I find that culture at large, Christians in particular, don't understand the Old Testament. And one of the things that they don't understand about the Old Testament is they don't know what it's like to live in uncertain times. They don't know what it's like to live when your physical well-being, your safety is constantly in question. They don't know what it's like to live where you don't know about your next meal. And so, when you're reading the Old Testament, it can be really difficult to appreciate what they're experiencing. And there's these moments where you're like, man, I just don't get maybe why it is that they're crying out for God to do this or that. But in these moments where everything's kind of stripped away from us, and and I don't know if you guys have had this moment where you're even out in society or you're walking by somebody and you kind of have this look like, or this feeling like, man, those safety features of society aren't as stable as they once were. And you can already start to feel that. Well, in a culture that doesn't have police or military like we know it, or law and order like we know it, those were not there at all. You would always have that moment where you were walking by somebody questioning the situation or your safety, or with regards to your job, or with regards to where you're going to get your next meal from, or those sorts of things you begin to really start to appreciate how they saw the world. Yeah, and I think it's that sort of um, cultural disconnect, if you will, that disconnect that we experience with the Old Testament is particularly more pronounced in first world countries where you have these social welfare systems in place and where you can trust the police in general and all that kind of stuff, right? I mean, I, I remember when I was growing up in South Korea, there was a time when I was little, when people just couldn't trust the police because they were just so corrupt. And that sense of insecurity that comes from that, if something were to happen to me, there is nobody that I can go to for help except for my family, you know, that that sort of thing. Or unless there is a good Samaritan around here somewhere, but I can't trust the police or, or whatever. I always found it really funny, like, not funny, it just always stood out to me. If you read the story of Abraham and how he goes to rest rescue Lot. Remember, Lot gets captured, and so then Abraham comes to rescue him, and he brings his private army, right? And I always thought, my goodness, like, if you're wealthy or whatever, you have to have your private army to protect everything that you have. That was the sort of times that people were living in back in those days, and the kind of place where also death is quite close to you, right? Whereas in our culture, death is so sterilized and institutionalized. Back then, death was so close to you and you lived with the sense of, I am mortal. I am not going to live forever. I think one positive aspect that has come out of this and relating to the gospel as well, I think one thing is just slowing down our lives. And I think that's scriptural, where we come and we meditate and we and we slow things down to focus on other things. So this has really come to a screeching halt for our busyness of our lives in this Western culture, right? We always have to accomplish something. We have to, you know, the kids are in all these different sports, going here, there, all the time, just to keep busy, just to keep things moving in the right direction kind of thing. So I think 
just this this time where people have come and they can't really do much. They're recognizing that being with family is important. Being together in that respect of just having more fun with each other, playing games, eating well, meals together. I even saw that in my own cul-de-sac there were last weekend. We, you know, it was nice out and there were families were all out with their kids, obviously keeping at that point, social distancing wasn't as big a deal, but they were still keeping their distance, but they were together. Yeah. And you began to see how important that is. Yeah. However, there is this dark side to all of this that we wanted to jump into as we look at the gospel. We look at the idea of our need, and it's moments like this that remind us of our need in our brokenness, because as families are forced to stay sheltered together for long periods of time, I know that one of the big challenges with the policing right now is domestic abuse, and I know that mm. uh, the challenges that have come from that, because we do live in a broken world, and, and it's in these moments that, yes, you get a glimpse into, like I was talking about earlier, you get a glimpse into what things were like in the past, but you get a glimpse into what human nature has always been and mm. still is, but just sometimes our wealth will hide over. Our busyness, too, as you're talking about, Terry, our busyness can hide this over, too, where, again, you get these clear insights. So, one of the areas of our brokenness that really comes out is how selfish we are. I don't think anybody would have seen this coming with how selfish we can be with something as petty as toilet paper. That I, In Costco, now, they, from what last I heard, they're limiting people now to one thing of toilet paper. You can't buy it all, which was happening. My sister was driving down the road and saw a man who had his car full of toilet paper. Yeah, they're uh, not taking any returns on that stuff yeah. that people have bought prior because somebody has just got, come in there and bought so much and they're selling it or not selling it. I don't know. They're not taking returns on a lot of stuff. And uh, I heard that there was this couple in BC who bought out all this like Lysol wipes and hand sanitizers yes. and everything from Costco and they tried to sell it for profit. Yeah. I don't know if there are charges being pressed against them or something like that, but I remember very clearly, I think it was last week sometime, maybe earlier this week, I don't know, time, I'm losing all sense of time being stuck at home. But a little while ago, I saw this one picture that just really left an impression on me. So I shared it on my Facebook page, but there was this picture of this lady, very old. She has her walker. Her hair is white, and she probably has scoliosis or something like that. Her back is bent like 90 degrees forward, right? And she's hanging on to her walker, and she's standing in front of these empty shelves at this grocery store. And the caption read, next time you start hoarding stuff, just remember this picture. It just really left a huge impression on me because I'm like, yeah, when you are hoarding stuff, when we're being selfish, it really hurts somebody else who is vulnerable, who actually needs the stuff. You know, they can't get it. Uh, as, as I've just been, you know, watching the hoarding of toilet paper and different stuff like that, it reminds me of a book that I, I read that I highly recommend for those of you with plenty of time on your hands in isolation or quarantine. Uh, it's called The Shung Tung Compound, The Story of Men and Women Under Pressure. A fascinating story of 2,000 men, women, and children herded together under the menace of Japanese guns 
rebuild a world and rediscover themselves. And so what it's talking about is this idea that these people are put into isolation, into a concentration camp together, and you see society begin to play itself out. As he, in his book, just kind of explains, here's what society looks like when it's under a microscope. Wasn't the author a psychologist, too? Uh, I know that he is a professor. I believe that he is a psychologist. There's this moment in the story, though, and you find it uh, in this chapter called Mixed Blessing. It's chapter six. In this chapter, there's this interesting moment where you got these people in this concentration camp. They are starving to death, and the Red Cross sends in these packages. And there's enough packages to go around for everybody and then some. But because these packages are from the Red Cross and it's the American Red Cross, the Americans want to take the packages for themselves. They don't want to give any of these packages away. And in this camp, it starts this big dialogue and these different debates that are happening as it absolutely divides them. And in the midst of this, the author writes about this experience that I just want to read a a portion of this, leads into one of my favorite quotes in the entire book, and I think it highlights well what we're talking about here. And this is what he says. He says, The experience of the Red Cross parcels vividly revealed to me aspects of human communal life of which I had been formerly unaware. A day or so later, as I was staring moodily at the heap of magnificent parcels, pondering the irony of our sudden brawling society, I came to see that wealth is by no means an unmitigated blessing to its community. It does not as may often be supposed, serve to feed and comfort those who are lucky enough to possess it, while leaving unaffected and unconcerned others in the community who are not so fortunate. Wealth is a dynamic force that can too easily become demonic, for if it does not do great good, it can do great harm. The arrival of those parcels represented for our camp an acceleration of sheer wealth, almost of incomprehensible scope. It was as if I thought our small community had been whisked overnight from the living standard of a 13th century village to that of a modern affluent industrial society. Now we had food to keep us all from hunger through the spring, and yet the introduction of this wealth, the central factor in material progress, was in fact the occasion for an increase in bitterness and conflict such as we had never known before. Staring at those symbols of our material advance, I suddenly realized that Western culture's dream of material progress as the answer to every ill was no more than a dream. Here was evidence before my eyes that wealth and progress can have demonic consequences if misused. Had this food simply been used for the good of the whole community, it would have been an unmitigated blessing in the life of every one of us. But the moment it threatened to become the hoarded property of a select few, it became at once destructive rather than creative, dividing us from one another and destroying every vestige of communal unity and morale. I realized that this was no mere matter of angry words and irate looks. It was just the kind of issue which men and women will fight over. Seeing the guards now patrolling the streets, I was glad they were there. Had there been no Japanese guns guaranteeing order in the camp, we might easily have faced real civil strife. Thus might our community have destroyed itself over this issue. I suddenly saw, as never so clearly before, the real dynamic factor in social conflict. 
how wealth compounded with greed and injustice leads invertibly to strife and how such strife can threaten to kill the social organism. Correspondingly, it became evident that the only answer was not less wealth or material goods, but the development of moral character that might lead to sharing and provide the sole foundation for social peace. It is the moral and immoral use of wealth, not its mere accumulation, it seemed to me, that determines whether it will play a creative or destructive role in any society. Now, a little bit later on, he, he goes on to kind of sum up what happens, which, by the way, the Japanese had to actually intervene in the camp, and they had to decide that they would all get one parcel, but the remaining parcels they would just take to another camp because they couldn't settle the dispute amongst them. So, in other words, they could have had more, but because of their greed, they had less. So, in the end, he says, In the possession of material goods, there is no such thing as satiety. One seems never able to accumulate enough to be safeguarded against the unpredictable future. And so, the requirements of full security remain in principle unlimited. Thus, men, who otherwise appeared quite normal and respectable, were goaded by their incessant fears about the future into claiming all they could for themselves and their own. And, concurrently, the needs of the neighbor seceded into the dim background. Men in such a situation seemed hardly free to do the generous thing, but only free enough to act in their own self-interest. To which then the author quotes here uh, Birch's three-penny opera saying, For even saintly folk will act like sinners unless they have their customary dinners. Mm-hmm. You know, I, that uh, kind of resonates with me, that part about how that material progress and prosperity that in itself will not bring shall we say utopia but it's the moral character of the people again when i was growing up in korea i I was born in a bit of a funny time because korea used to be one of the poorest countries in the world and now it's like the 12th largest economy in the world right and right when i was born korea was going through this transition from being one of the poorest countries in the world to one of the most prosperous countries in the world. And there have been so many cases uh, of man-made disasters, of bridges collapsing and those kinds of things. In fact, if you look up, I think something like top 10 man-made disasters, one of those is this department store. I think you can look it up on National Geographics or something like that, where this huge department store, I think the name was Sampoon Department Store, Basically, what happened was these two walls on each side, they remained standing, but everything in the middle just collapsed right down. And the reason for that was because, well, the construction companies, they were cutting corners trying to save money, right? And there were lots of disasters like that in South Korea. And so people always talked about how, yeah, we're making all this progress in terms of the material goods and wealth and all that kind of stuff, but people's mindset just isn't keeping up with it. It, it People's mindset has to be changed first. I mean, that, that was a common sort of a refrain that I heard growing up, right? We've got all this wealth, but we don't know how to think about other people as we're, you know, trying to save money or spend money or whatever it is. And so that really kind of resonated with me as you were reading it, Andy. Well, it's interesting when you read the Gospels, isn't it, that you see that this is something that Jesus is seeking to teach his disciples uh, continually as he's 
helping them to take their focus off of themselves and seeking to put their attention onto other people. Isn't that an interesting aspect of the gospel? Is this denying yourself, right? You're, and you're putting your attention on God, but God's going to take your attention and he's going to place it onto people. In fact, the greatest person in God's kingdom is supposed to be a servant, right? And a servant is just by nature someone who is about someone else. That's what a servant is. That's what a servant does. Uh, A servant is never about himself or herself. A servant is always about somebody else. And that's the kind of person that's considered the greatest in the kingdom of God. There's this great verse, John 13, where Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's about to be taken away and um, tried and then crucified. And in this moment, you know, leading up to the crucifixion, Jesus with his disciples says to them, John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I think the uh, body metaphor that the New Testament uses is really helpful in in putting up Christ as the head and our relationship with each other in respect to the other body parts. I think that's helpful to look at it that way because we are meant for community. We are meant for connections. We're in this together. This is part of the gospel. For far too long, Christians have thought the gospel is just about me and God, you know, and I have this personal relationship with God. And yes, that's true. You have a relationship with God, but you also have a communal relationship with God. And together, you know, we are one. And it, again, it's a good reminder, like you said, Terry, that of the depth of relationship that we need for one another. And I guess as I bring this all up, it's just to say, in these times, it's a reminder of the brokenness of humanity. It's a reminder of our own brokenness. It's a reminder of our own greed that can creep up when we don't think that it's alive and well. It's a moment to remember that we can hoard quite easily, but that Christ has called us to something different, that he's called us to love one another as as he loved us, and he gave us everything, including his life. And so, in these difficult times, my encouragement that as I've been reading the Bible and as I've just in my own prayer life, the encouragement to me has been... uh, Look for the needs of others and, and see in this crisis how you can love people around you. And I guess, I guess really that's what I, uh, we wanted to share today was the gospel in light of COVID-19 is that there's going to be opportunities that you're going to see your brokenness and your need for the Lord to come and to do a work in you. But you're also going to see opportunity in which you can love other people as you've been loved and that you can show the power of Christ at work in you. And I think we also want to encourage them to follow what the government is saying right now as well with regards to guidelines and the social distancing just to reduce the spread of infection. I think that is a positive thing as Christians we can do. Well, this is one of the ways we love people, isn't it? Yep. That there are vulnerable people all around us and one of the ways that we can love them is by following these guidelines. But that just means then that we need to be creative as we seek to care for the needs of others. And sometimes that means dropping a package on somebody's door and and ringing the doorbell and leaving. I've heard of people setting up uh, WhatsApp group chats and Facebook just for communities, like, or just for your block where you are at that time, you know, with other people around you. Creative ways to Creative ways, yeah, exactly, exactly. And we also want to pray at this time for what's going on in our country, our community, and the world, because it is, it is crazy times. It's a, another a good reminder that we're not in control, but, but God is. 
And it's a reminder to us, and the disciples would have seen this as well as Jesus was, you know, giving this command to love one another, and he's about to die, and, and the world's going to go into chaos for the disciples quite quickly as leads into the crucifixion. And you have to remember, too, the disciples are living in a time where the Romans are under control, and they're actually going to have to go into isolation and hiding soon. I mean, what do they do? What was their response? Their response was prayer, and our response needs to be the same. And it's interesting, though, it, don't you find that in a crisis situation, your first response tends to be to try to handle yes. things on your I think own? That's most, yeah, yeah, right, right. What power do I have to fix a situation? We're in a terrible situation at the moment. There are no easy fixes. And in some ways, you know, maybe this could be a topic for another time, but we're in a COVID-19 trolley thought experiment where, but it's not a thought experiment. You know, we're People's lives are on the line, and yet the economy's on the line, and all mm-hmm. these other issues mm-hmm. are on the line. And there's some really difficult decisions that a policymakers need to make. And I think we just need to be in prayer for them, with them, and we need to be in prayer with people around us. I've had a number of friends call me that have lost their job, and praying with them, and and also seeking tangible ways to be able to help people in this this time. One. More thing I would like to add to all of this is with this quarantine happening and and whatnot, one of the things that it's doing is it's really highlighting who the really important people are in our society, if you will. The people that are on the front lines fighting COVID-19, right, are healthcare workers um, and, you know, first responders and, you know, our truckers, uh, food chain suppliers and, and all those kinds of people, right, who really literally can't afford to take the time off. They can't quarantine themselves. Uh, and sometimes they do quarantine themselves at home because they work at hospitals and whatnot. They don't get to come home to their kids, to their husbands and wives. Instead, they have to isolate themselves from their own family in order to serve us. And so I think it's really appropriate for all of us to say a very heartfelt thank you to those people who are serving us on the front lines of this COVID-19 crisis. All right, let's just take the time right now and just pray for each other and, uh, and our communities. Father, we thank you so much for community. We thank you, Father, so much for family and those that are around us. You've set it up this way for us, and to live in community like that is, is helpful and it is fruitful. So I pray at this time, Father, that you will give us the wisdom and give us the thoughts and the actions that are positive for others, that we can go into our community and be effective witness for you. So I thank you. I thank you for what's going to happen. I thank you for the positive things that are going to come out of this. And I thank you, Father, that you are with us and that you are in control and that you will uh, bring good things coming out of this time, these uncertain times right now. So we thank you so much for your love for us and love for others, and as we show that love to others as well. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us, listeners. The AC Podcast is a ministry of Apologetics Canada, and we'll come back next week with more things to think about.